<laughs> we'll be here forever. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. <clears throat> John 9, beginning in verse 1. Um, John writes this. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the man with the clay. And he said to him, Go, wash in the, in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this who, who, he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said to him, I don't know. Or he said, I don't know. Verse 13 says this, they brought him who for formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Shabbat, a Sabbath, when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the, disciples, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep Shabbat. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said he is a prophet. But the Jews didn't believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who'd received his sight. And they, they asked them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. He's of age, ask him. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that he was Messiah, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, uh, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his, dis his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, why? This is a marvelous thing that, that you don't know where he's from, yet he's opened my eyes. Now, we know that God doesn't hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and uh, when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that, that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you'd have no sin. But now you say, We see. 
Therefore, your sin remains. Well, interesting. Oh, look at that. Okay. Nope. Clearly, the video card is not working right. Oh, look at that. I was able to move it with this. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> okay. All right, guys, let's pray, and then we'll back up to um, uh, verse 1 of chapter 9 and kind of walk through this. This is this whole chapter really focuses on this one uh, miracle, and it is an important miracle for a couple of reasons. We'll get to that a little bit later uh, of the miracles that Jesus did. It's a particular, particularly important one. So uh, let's pray one more time because uh, it's God that we need. <laughs> Um, so, Father, I, I pray because it's you that we need, as, as I said. Um, Lord, we need your help always. I pray that you'd be patient with us, that you would, you would cover us in, in your kindness and your gracious love. That you would mend broken places, Lord. And that you would break those hard parts of our hearts, Lord. Where we are in rebellion to you and failing to love you first and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, would you break us, please? That we'd be tenderhearted, full of compassion, serving one another laying our lives down. This is your way. It's the way of the cross, the way of our Savior Jesus. Um, if, there is to, if there is to be any triumph, uh, let it be only you who does it, Father. Let it be in the coming of your Son, not in some manufactured... Um, force with the strength of our own hands. Let it not be that, Lord. Let it not be the strength of our hands or the strength of our weapons. May we beat them into plowshares. Lord, help us to do your your works. That is, would you live through us, Father? Would you please change us, that we'd be sensitive, more sensitive to you, Lord. Thank you for your kindness. I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us, please. Thank you for your promises, Lord. I, I, just, I want us to cling to them, to cling to you, Father. You, you are the living God. Um, nothing else really matters. Not not like you, Father. Give us grace, I pray in Jesus' name. Speak to us through your word, Lord. We pray it in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. A man born blind. A couple of things this story does for us. It sets, sets us aright concerning ideas about, some ideas about sin and about its consequences, at least it challenges some of our preconceived notions about them, and I think that's really important. We've talked about this on a number of occasions because Jesus has dealt with some of these ideas previously. Okay, um, Let's read uh, again. Let's start here in, in verse 1 of, of John chapter 9. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I want you to focus on that question for a second. When the disciples see the guy who was born blind, this is Jesus' followers, right? Their question to Jesus was, why is he blind? And particularly, why was he born blind? I think that's the thing we need to remember. The the focus of their question is, why was he born in this condition? Um, Clearly, their theology was a bit whack. (laughs) That is, they expected that any affliction that you faced, that they faced, that they saw like blindness, 
that it had to be the direct result of some particular sin, either in the, that person's life or uh, what I think now we might refer to as something called like generational sin or that sort of idea, a generational curse or something like that. That is, their parents sinned and, and there's consequences that a child then has to deal with because of it. Um, something that I, I suppose I ought to mention um, God says in the book of Jeremiah, right before the new covenant promise in Jeremiah 31, God says, I don't ever want to hear this proverb ever again. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Don't ever say that anymore. <laughs> the man who sins, he'll die for his sin. <laughs> right? Like God's like very, very clear about that. But anyway, so their theology was obviously, their, their understanding about the spiritual world and about sin and its consequences uh, was slightly skewed. Now, please uh, before we move on and kind of get to the the good news about this section, I um, I do want to mention this. We talked previously about the reality that, like Jesus said to uh, the man that he healed at the um, remember the man who wanted to go into the water when the water was stirred up uh, by the angel. That story, and but he said, I didn't have any man to put me in. After Jesus healed him, he said, Go and don't sin anymore, unless a lest a worse thing come upon you than the paralysis he was he had already been facing okay i've talked about this on an, uh, in that study in as we went through that chapter earlier on in the book of john um and then um we find like in the last chapter in john chapter 8 jesus saying to the woman uh, caught in the act of adultery go and sin no more there's that sort of um, instruction to don't keep on going on in your sin be freed from that right not some harsh command like go and don't you ever sin anymore i think that's the wrong way to hear the voice of jesus i think rather jesus is saying go and and be free from this you don't have to you don't have to keep going on in that anymore cuz You'll know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will give you liberty, freedom. So, um, 1 John chapter 5, John says, there is sin leading to death. He said, if your brother sins, pray for him that he be healed. The end of 1 John 5, John then goes, there is sin leading to death. I don't say that you should pray about that. <laughs> it's like John is saying, if somebody sins in a particular way where the consequence of that sin is they die, John's like, you don't have to pray about that. <laughs> like they they died, right? Um, what what might be that type of situation? Uh, let us suggest a, a possible uh, situation where a person constantly gives themselves to alcohol, or may, maybe even just one time, and then they get involved in a car accident because they're driving drunk and they lose their life because of that, right? So there are direct consequences related to the sin uh, that they chose to to be involved in, right? So sometimes that certainly happens. There are absolutely direct consequences to sin that we have to deal with. Uh, also, another situation is in the book of 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul is talking about the Lord's table or communion or Eucharist, whatever uh, language we want to use related to that, the bread and wine situation. Paul uh, encouraged them um, to consider what they're doing because some of them not giving weight to that reality, to the gathering of the saints and the taking of the bread and wine. Some of them, some of you, Paul said, are sick, some are weak, and some have fallen asleep, which was Paul's euphemism for died, right? So there are consequences uh, sometimes related to uh, that sort of situation, and that is certainly a consequence related to sin. Uh, think also of the situation with Ananias and Sapphira, right? These two folks early on in the book of Acts. When we get to the book of Acts in a couple of months here, we'll go over their story. But Ananias and Sapphira, who uh, conspired amongst themselves to sell land that they owned uh, in order to give some to the church, but instead of giving everything, even though they said they gave everything, they, they were trying to lie about how much they were giving. Uh, there's sort of probably a pride issue there. They like wanted to look better than they really were being couple of things to keep in mind related to that story. God never commanded that they sell the property. He never told them they had to give everything. That was something that they wanted to do, um, but they, they were lying about it. And there was an immediate, direct consequence for that sin. Peter called them in and said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then uh, they dropped it, right? So there's a direct, immediate consequence uh, related to that sin. Here's the point that I want to make sure we get from John chapter 9. Every affliction we face is not the direct, immediate result of some particular sin in your life or in the lives of the people around you. 
We live in a world that has fallen from its beginning, from, from its not from the moment of its inception, but shortly thereafter. At least that's what the text says. And there is a curse that has permeated everything, everything. This is um, <laughs> hard now because we have the we want to make um, um, after this, therefore because of it. Um, um, logical fallacies at times when we have situations now where people say, sometimes people say, well, coronavirus is a hoax, you know, and it's whatever. And then they end up getting sick and dying from it, you know, and you're, and then you have one group that's like, oh, see, see, that's what you deserve. You know, and you're like, for real? <laughs> like, that's very hard hearted, you know, and then, and then sort of the other side of that reality, you know, not taking that reality seriously. We live in a world that, that's broken. And the Bible doesn't hide that from us. It's sometimes strange to me that we, that we uh, and maybe it's just because of the, the world around us being confused, because it's been preached to us that I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. Everybody's just okay. Just be what you want to be and everything's fine. But it's not okay. <laughs> everything's falling apart. <laughs> Have you lived have you lived here long? <laughs> like the world is is a hot mess, y'all. This is why the coming of Jesus is so vital, so important. And also why the coming of Jesus, his first coming is is necessary, is vital as I said. But it's also so different because if he had come only to establish his kingdom, a perfect kingdom forever, I would not get to be there. And neither would you, and neither would anyone else. Because we have sinned. And so he comes and he becomes a sacrifice for us. Something that he had um, commanded Israel to shadow for hundreds of years in the sacrificial system. In the offerings over and over and over again, this, this offering for sin over and over and over and over again, the offering of the Lamb. And then Jesus becomes that very thing that he had commanded that they, that they think about, that they consider, <laughs> that they do over and over and over again. He becomes the reality, the substance of that. You know, when the, the author to the Hebrews says that the tabernacle was built according to the pattern given to Moses, and then he says that the pattern given to Moses was, was an illustration of the, of the heavenly reality. Like, that blows my mind to think about, like, there's this reality to that thing that was a temporary tent that God commanded Moses to build. But he said, build it according to this pattern. Make it like this, exactly like this. Because it was a pattern of something else. It's always been fascinating to me. So the disciples asked the question, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents said he was born blind. Asking if his parents sinned, uh, that he was born blind, or that he sinned if he was born blind, maybe I, I should say, uh, seems a little strange to me at first. Uh, but I have heard say, I need to do a little bit more research related to it, but I've heard say, uh, some have said that um, there was a belief that a, <laughs> that a child could sin against their mom while in the womb, and so therefore be born blind related to his own sin, right? Because saying, is he born blind because of his sin? You're like, wait a minute, he wasn't born yet, right? So how could he be born blind because of his own sin, uh, his own particular sin? So uh, there may have been that understanding that uh, a child um, in utero could sin against its mom. You guys that have carried children in utero might have felt at moments that <laughs> your little baby was in there, you know, <laughs> um, beating stuff up in there. I don't know. Um, it's always been fascinating to me. I was, I was always amazed by that. Uh, that, oh, that whole thing is just so amazing to me. A human being inside of another human being. Glorious and wonderful. Uh, anyhow, so they wondered this question. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Uh, let me be real honest with you. I don't really like Jesus' answer. 
I'm just being honest. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. It would be easier, I think, if we lived in a... If, if the common belief were true that doing good thing always doing good things always brings good things into your life and doing bad things always brings bad things into your life if that were that common cons- concept were always true i think that it would be easier to reckon with some things but it's not always true and so we have a fallen world where children die of cancer where things are hard where where we don't I don't always know why. I don't always understand why things are happening the way that they are. So I'm challenged. I'm confronted with the reality of whether or not I'm going to believe that there is a God who is in charge. I've recently been listening to the the prophets, the Old Testament writings again, and I'm, I'm amazed by, as I go through the writings, as I go through the scriptures, the, the prophets are just so confident that God is in charge of everything. And... It doesn't seem like many people believe that. <laughs> the prophets really believed that God was really in control of things. As much as we then have to wrestle with, well, what does that then mean? If God is in control of everything, what does that then mean about these difficult situations, like a, a child being born blind? And of Jesus saying that this was uh, so that the works of God should be revealed in him. I don't know how old the, this particular person was, but who um, was born blind. But I, I know that um, I, I try to internalize this and think like, if I was born blind, what would my concept of the world be like? If I had lived 40 years, I'm almost 40. I'll be 40 this year. If I had lived 40 years and never seen a thing. And and then have this man say that the reason I was born blind was so that the works of God could be revealed in me. And then I think, Lord, am I willing to endure 40 years of blindness so that one day you can use this for your own glory? Do I value you that much, Father? Now fill in the fill it in with something other than born blind, right? Fill it in with cancer. Fill it in with some other thing, maybe that 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 God has has brought into your life. Whether we say God has allowed it or God has done it, I think that lingo is irrelevant. <laughs> if He's in control, He's in control. <clears throat> but then I have to ask the question of whether or not I believe that this God is good. Is he good? One of the difficulties that you and I suffer from is the reality that we judge everything with an immediate temporal uh, view frequently. We judge whether or not things are good or bad based on how we feel about them right this moment. Um, But uh, life is much more complicated than that. When we see someone suffering from, sorry to bring up cancer a lot, it's just something we've wrestled with recently. (laughs) Um, We see somebody going through that uh, situation, going through cancer and thinking, well, is it better for them that they got treatment and, and lived but suffered a long time, but they lived a little bit longer? Or is it better that they didn't? And who gets to make that, what does better even mean? What's our view of things? What's our, what's our end goal here? I marvel at how often people want to see miracles and healings of people but without remembering that they're all temporary. All of the miracles of healing Jesus did during his three and a half years of ministry, while wonderful and helpful in the immediate situations that they were in, were all a temporary thing because all of those people would, would go on to die. So if he wasn't crucified for sin, buried and raised from the dead, promising to give eternal life to everyone who trusts him, 
If the resurrection isn't true, then all those healings don't mean much. They were good for a moment, but, but then they're gone. This is why the resurrection is so vital, so important to our concept of, of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And as I mentioned to you, I wrestle with that. I say, Lord, is the, am I willing to accept? I think of Job. Um, you know, it's like, if I accept good from God, why am I not willing to accept evil from his hands? Like, or what I'm in this moment think is evil. I think it's certainly the idea, right? We are a people who chase safety and we chase ease. <laughs> Thanks, under oath. <laughs> Only chasing safety. <laughs> we, 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 we are we're running after those things, and we live in a culture that says, if this thing is hard, just get out of it. Marriage is hard, just get rid of it. Find some whatever makes you happy. Just do that. And then we've taken it far beyond that now, not just not just marriages and, and other things, now even to your body. Oh, you don't like the body you were born in? You don't have to be that. Neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me, uh, Jesus continues. Yeah, I got it to change. Okay. <laughs> I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. That doesn't sound good at all. And if you think you know what that means, I'd love for you to share it with me. Because <laughs> what? When is the night coming when no one can work? Is this prefiguring... Um, some part of the apocalypse, some part of, of the end, what we might call the end times things. Certainly after Jesus uh, was crucified and raised from the dead, after he gave, after he gave his spirit to the, to the disciples, and the church then is, is birthed, we see good works happening. You know, we see that, that going out. We see them becoming light, the light of the world, as Jesus said to them. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And of course, Jesus then would say to his disciples that they were the light of the world. As I mentioned to you last week, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that uh, the church really looks like that. You know, when people consider the church and, and our actions, um, what we say and what we do, I'm challenged by that personally because I, I, I need to wrestle with that and say, Lord, am I doing things that bring honor to your name? Am I, am I saying things that honor you and that, um, that reveal, that, that show people your goodness? Verse 6 says, When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, before we move on, I just want to say, like, if you're born blind and some dude's about to heal you, I think you'll probably be okay. You know what I mean? Like, also, here's another thing. This is an ancient Middle Eastern culture. You, you and I have no idea what normalcy was like for them. You know what I mean? Like, saying that some guy spit in the ground and made, made mud out of his saliva and dirt. You look at that. I look at that, and I'm like, ew, gross, because I'm like because we know about microbiology stuff. <laughs> they didn't know about that back then, right? Like this is the first, you know what I mean? This is the first century. They didn't they had no concept of 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 anything like that, right? So like we're like, uh, you know, and they may not have it may not have been that big of a deal to them as far as <laughs> as far as being gross. The point I'm trying to make with that is like don't let that be a hang up to what's really happening. Don't get focused on that. The issue here was that he made mud on the Sabbath day. That's the problem. That's what's going to be the problem with what he does. He makes mud on the Sabbath day, clay on the Sabbath day, and heals this man. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, the text says. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. That's what that particular pool is called in, in Jerusalem, around Jerusalem. So he went and washed and came back seeing. I mean, it's such a simple thing. Jesus spits in the ground, takes this 
mud, this clay he makes with his spittle and the dirt and puts it in the guy's eyes. And, and if you're the guy, like, what are you thinking? You're like, <laughs> like, I wanted you to help me see, not, not make it, like, I already can't see. Why are you putting mud in my eyes? You know, I don't have any, we don't have any idea what he was, what he was thinking. But, um, the amazing thing is that he did that he, he went and washed. Maybe it was just something as natural as like, this guy just put dirt in my face. <laughs> I, I should go wash it off now. <laughs> like just a natural like thing. Jesus said, "Go and do this." Um, the guy does it, and then he comes back and he's able to see. Like I said, I don't know. Imagine he's twenty, never seen for twenty years, and now a guy puts clay, puts mud in your eyes, and you don't know who this guy is. He puts mud in your eyes and he says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash it out. And you do it and now you're able to see things. That's like, this becomes, Jesus uses this, as he mentioned, this becomes an issue related to the glory of God because Jesus uses this physical healing of sight to present to the religious leaders an issue of spiritual sight and their failure to see what was really happening in spiritual things. This was often the case with Jesus' miracles and with Jesus' teaching. He would frequently use the immediate physical circumstances to present illustrations related to bigger, broader, grander spiritual things. This is what a parable is, by the way, when Jesus taught in parables. The word parable means to throw something alongside something else. So you give a story related to some immediate, understandable, um, physical situation or circumstance with a spiritual meaning. That is, you're laying it beside something else so that the person, if they understand the, this, the physical thing, it will help them to understand the spiritual thing you're trying to illustrate with it. Um, we use the word illustrations, but that's essentially what a, a parable is. Um, so he went and washed and he came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind uh, said, Is not this he who, he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. Even the people around were like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't even know if that's the same guy. Obviously, he, was, he didn't really stand out. Um, from the rest of the people, apparently. He said, I am he. He's like, it's me. I'm, I'm the guy who, who couldn't see. Uh, therefore, they said to him, how are your eyes open? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then uh, they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I love I love this. One of the things I love about John's gospel is just how natural it feels. Uh, it just John is writing these things that happened. He's just telling us these events that occurred, and so it's all very normal. And I love that they brought him, him who was formerly blind, to the Pharisees. This is where the bad news starts. This is great news, right? This guy who was born blind can see now, and Jesus healed him by putting mud in his eyes, like by putting clay in his eyes and telling him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. This is wonderful, amazing thing. Now he's presented to the leaders in Israel. The Pharisees uh, were in many ways political leadership under the authority of the, the higher authority of the Roman government at the time. Um, the Sadducees, another particular Jewish group, the Sadducees were primarily over uh, the priesthood and the service at the temple. The Pharisees um, were more related to the the, um, the Sanhedrin, the eldership, the, um, the the ones who were supposed to be making the decisions for the nation, that sort of thing. However, they were under the thumb of Roman governorship at the time. Right, Rome had conquered uh, this particular area at the time. So um, they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now, verse 14, it was a, a Shabbat when Jesus made the clay and, and opened his eyes. It was a Sabbath day, uh, Saturday. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. I love this guy so, so much. He's just like, he keeps telling his story over and over and over again. And he's like, I don't know why you guys aren't getting it. 
The guy put dirt in my eyes and I wash it out and now I can see, right? Like he's just so matter of fact about it. And I love this. Uh, the, the, um, the, the text continues in verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep Shabbat. Why would they say that? Uh, I think two things. One is that he made the clay, which was forbidden according to the traditions of the elders. You were not allowed to make clay because clay is used for work. It's used to make bricks and other things, clay and mud. So on Shabbat, on Sabbath, you were not allowed to make clay or mud. That would have been breaking the tradition of the elders. The other was that they had already dealt with Jesus performing miracles on the Sabbath day, something that they had already said was wrong, which is like the craziest hard heart, like what? <laughs> Jesus, in one situation, the Pharisees literally said to Jesus, they, they said to him and to his disciples, there are six other days on which you can heal people, not on the Sabbath day. Like, are you out of your mind? Like, who, who says that? Who thinks like that? They thought they were honoring God because of the traditions they had been taught. And they were keeping those traditions so legalistically, with so much structure, they had failed to see that God commanded them to love their neighbor as themselves. And that trumped what they thought was work or not work on, on Saturday. It was taking care of the people around them. Tradition can so easily blind us, and it blinded them so quickly to the needs right in front of them. They said, as we read, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep Sabbath. He doesn't keep Shabbat. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them, so they're, they're arguing with each other now. How can, if he's a sinner and not it does, because he doesn't keep Shabbat, how in the world could he have done this? How could he have healed somebody born blind? This becomes really important in a, in a couple of verses. We'll get there. Sorry. I, oh my goodness, look at the time. We better speed it up a little bit. Sorry. How can a sinner, a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. And the blind man said, he said, he is a prophet. The blind man knows that his name is Jesus. The man who was formerly blind knows that his name is Jesus, but doesn't really know who he is. He doesn't know who this man is in reality, the way that you and I have come to know him uh, as the scriptures have revealed more of him. But the Jews, verse 18, the Jews didn't believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. <laughs> I mean, the audacity, right? They're like, oh, you say you were born blind, but now you can see, but we don't really believe you. So they call the guy's parents and they're like, come in here, right? Uh, <laughs> this is, it's, it's mind blowing to me. But this is what hard-heartedness does. It's just holding on to traditions that really have nothing to do with the Word of God. Nothing to do with what God has actually said. And then we divide our, what we do is we divide ourselves up and we become us versus them and we say we're the ones who are keeping everything good and them out there aren't fill in the blank with whatever sin you think is the problem in the world, right? In our arrogance, we say, well, those people, I don't ever want to hear that language come from you. <laughs> us people, <laughs> guys, us people, we are a mess. And Jesus is a good savior who rescues sinners. Isn't that good news? It's terrible news if you don't see yourself as a sinner. <laughs> but it's really good news for you and I who realize that we've sinned. He rescues sinners. The Jews didn't believe concerning him that he'd been born blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? I love this whole interchange. His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we don't know. Um, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. He is of age, ask him. They're like, he's old enough. Talk to him. 
Okay, And that may not seem like a big deal to you, but the situation here was who was responsible for his response. Because they're going to get to a place where they say anyone who acknowledges or talks about or says Jesus is the Messiah is going to be kicked out of synagogue. Being kicked out of synagogue was, it was being exiled from Jewish culture. Okay, This would have been a terrible judgment for them. And so the parents are like, he's old enough, you ask him, right? Like he's probably past his bar mitzvahs, sort of what I'm thinking, because that's sort of that place where they would take responsibility at the age of 13, right? I know we, we like to drag responsibility out until our kids are like 35 now, but um, <laughs> they expected things of their children. <laughs> um, um, anyways. <clears throat> so they're like, he's of age, ask him. He's of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. Uh, his parents, and it says why, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that he was the Messiah, if anybody said that he was the Christ or the Messiah, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. John's explaining why they said that. It wasn't just they just didn't want to stick up for their son, but they're like now afraid for themselves of being put out of the synagogue. That would have been a, a horrendous cultural event for them to be excommunicated from, from um, synagogue. Uh, so their response was, ask him, he's of age. Verse 24, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. I'd love this because this is the issue with, with these the traditions of the elders is they thought they were honoring God. They thought they were doing what God had commanded, but it wasn't what God had commanded. It was the traditions that they had embraced amongst themselves. By the way, this is one of the reasons why the writings are so important, why it's so valuable and vital that you and I be spending time in the scriptures. Because it's only in knowing what God has said through the prophets and through his son, whom he has spoken to us by in these last days, that we can be freed from, find liberty from the traditions that are frequently passed on to us, whether they are social mores, whether they are mores from church culture. If you grew up in the church, there are lots of church culture mores and social rules about what's right and what's wrong that have no bearing on what God has actually said in the scriptures. And lots of people have been bound by those things only to now that they're older. They realize they don't actually have a relationship with God, many of them. And I won't get into too much complexity with that. But um, Nor do they want one because they've been taught a lot of traditions that have nothing to do with what God said. And so their whole concept of what it means to follow Jesus is, is one of, of rigid rule-keeping frequently rather than just basking, enjoying the fact that God saves sinners. He does so through Jesus. Not because I've earned anything. Because he called me. He said, come to me. Trust me. And frankly, I'm just trying to learn to trust him more. (laughs) Um, Last little bit here, so we can... We can finish up, guys. Um, they said that uh, they, they know that it was their son. They were afraid to say anything further, so they said, ask him. So they called the guy again, as we read. The leaders, the Pharisees said, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. They think they know that he's a sinner because in their minds, he's violated Sabbath. And this is the... Where, where it gets into that us versus them sort of pharisaical thing that we can find in church culture a lot. Because that person over there dresses differently or acts differently or talks differently or thinks differently or has different political views. We say, well, they're, it's us versus them. <clears throat> and Satan would love to have it so... I don't want you to miss that reality about our culture when it feels like everybody's fighting each other. Do you realize like that's exactly what like the enemy of humanity wants? <laughs> like is for us to hate each other. Like you, you realize that? It's doing a, seems to be doing a pretty good job uh, of that, <laughs> of causing us to do that instead of to love each other and lay our lives down for one another. Um, 
give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner, they said. Verse 25, um, he answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. <laughs> One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. I just, I told you before, I love this guy because he's so matter of fact. He's like, listen, I don't even know if the guy's a sinner or not. His name's Jesus. He told me to put dirt in my, <laughs> put clay in my eyes and to go wash and I've been healed. Like his mindset is so like, he just knows what he knows and there are other things that he doesn't know, right? So he's like, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but this happened to me. I was blind and now I see. Then verse 26, then they said to him, um, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? So he gives them the explanation again, verse 27. He answered them, I told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now I feel like he's like digging in, you know what I mean? Because they're so mad about Jesus and about what he's doing. I feel like he's just like turning the knife in them, like <laughs> just goading them about this, you know? Are you guys now wanting to be his disciples? Is that why you want to hear what he did again? <clears throat> I just love that guy. (laughs) He's awesome. I mean, he's only in John 9, but I just love him. I love his attitude. Verse 28 says this, Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. They're like, No, we don't want to be his disciple. You're his disciple. You're a follower of that man. We're Moses' disciples. And this is the thing that they uh, held so much pride in. We're following Moses. Really? Have you heard Moses? (laughs) Verse 29 says, We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing. (laughs) This guy, (laughs) y'all. Well, isn't this just spectacular? (laughs) There's so much sarcasm here. (laughs) <laughs> well, isn't this a marvelous thing? This, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he's from, yet he's opened my eyes. Shouldn't the like leaders of the nation of Israel, if they're the ones in charge and knowing all the stuff that God is doing, shouldn't they know? I mean, this is somebody born blind. Um, he continues, and, and the next part I think is really important, so I want you to pay attention. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners. Stop right there for just a second. This is... Um, For some reason, I've heard people say this and say, the Bible says that God doesn't hear sinners. What? The Bible doesn't teach that. If God didn't hear sinners, he'd never hear anyone. (laughs) Right? Because that's all of us. Right? (laughs) Okay? It's It's just a weird thing. And it's ripped out of its context. The context in this story is this guy who was born blind, now healed. He's saying this. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Okay, he's telling the the um, the leaders this, right? So this is his understanding, and I think this is one of the things that's so vital about keeping the the scriptures in their context. Okay, well, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he's from yet. He's opened my eyes now. Um, Sorry, I didn't, didn't change the slide. Now, we know that God doesn't hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, He hears Him. I've got really good news for you. That's not true. God hears sinners and somehow makes worshipers of us who have sinned. (laughs) This is really, really great news, gang. God doesn't have to save you. He doesn't have to rescue me from my sin. If anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Some of the traditions I was taught was that were that if I didn't read my Bible enough, then God didn't hear me. If I didn't spend enough time praying, then God wouldn't hear me. If I had recently sinned in some particular way, then God wouldn't hear me. And the great news is that that's not true. He does hear us because he's a good father and he loves his children even when we fail. And I'm so glad. (laughs) Listen to the next line. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. 
this I think is a, a historical statement that is of utmost importance to this particular miracle. Uh, if you want more depth or more more study related to this, I would encourage you to look up. I don't agree with everything he says, but uh, there's a, a Jewish believer, a Hebrew uh, believer uh, named Arnold Fruchtenbaum, and he talks about um, three particular miracles that Jesus did that in the Jewish community were believed that only Messiah could do. And the reason why they became to be believed that way was because nobody else had done them. Nobody other, no other Jewish person had done them over the course of time. There was no record of some of these particular miracles happening. And so um, the fact that it had never happened before meant that the only person who would be able to do it was Messiah. One of those miracles was the healing of somebody born blind. Another one was casting out a demon who was mute, something Jesus also did. The reason was that the common way of the Jewish exorcism, there were Jewish exorcists, there were Jews who cast demons out of people, and their training uh, said that what they would do is they would go and they would ask the demon what their name was, and they would command it to come out of a person by its name. Okay, And we see that pattern happening several times in the scripture. So when Jesus comes to a man who is mute, who can't speak, Everybody's like, can't do it because you can't ask the demon his name because the person can't speak. And then Jesus does it anyways because he don't care about that. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's, it becomes one of, those, uh, one of those important miracles like this one that were believed amongst the Jewish community to be things that only Messiah could do when he comes. This is one of the reasons why the response to these miracles is so infuriating why like the response of the jewish leaders becomes so fiery because they don't believe he's the messiah but he's doing things that just don't make sense otherwise <clears throat> and that's why they're trying to disprove this man's blindness you get that they're trying to say you're not really you weren't really born blind <laughs> you get that that's what they're trying to do here that's why they called the guy's parents is this really kid born blind <clears throat> Since the world began, it's been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I love that. This guy's amazing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. This is uh, called an ad hominem attack. This is a completely illogical response, right? There's no logic related to this. They're not disproving his claim by saying that. They're simply saying, you're a terrible person, <laughs> right? Like you were just born in sin. Like that's literally the response is to attack his person. Also, when you guys are listening to like news or listening to politicians, be aware of those things, <laughs> right? Or having discussions on the book of faces, you know, or wherever you have them on the Twitter or whatever, uh, or what's that? <laughs> wherever you have them. Uh, uh, be, be, watch out for that stuff where people try and do that. They're like, Instead of responding to a particular argument that's being made, they just um, uh, create lots of logical fallacies, like an ad hominem um, fallacy to attack a person, So uh, rather than the particular argument that's being presented. You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. This is their response. And I think in a very definitive way, this is him being thrown out of synagogue as well. That was what they said they were going to do to anybody who claimed that Jesus was Messiah. Verse 35 uh, continues. Jesus heard that they cast him out. They had cast him out. And when he had found him, oh, stop right there just for a second. Oh, just sit with that. Jesus heard that they cast him out. And when he had found him. Man, sometimes we read our Bible way too fast, don't we? Do you understand that Jesus went looking for this guy? when he had heard that he was thrown out of out. Isn't that so precious? Isn't that so good? He's not far. I know that things are hard and I and I don't know I don't understand many things. My son said the other day, my my he's not middle anymore, my second to oldest son. <laughs> I have too many children. Um 
said to me the other day, he said, Daddy, there's a lot I don't know. And I looked at him, I grabbed his shoulders, and I said, hold on to that. Don't ever lose that. There's a lot that I don't know, son. Like, don't ever lose that. And keep on learning. Like, I like, I think I kind of freaked him out for a second. And I was like, because he, he had this revelation, you know, and I was like, yes, keep that attitude, because my hope is that it would keep him humble, <laughs> that he would never be in a place where he thinks he, he knows everything about something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus oh, heard that he had that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, "Do you believe in the Son of God?" Some translations you may have a translation that says, uh, "Do you believe in the Son of Man?" I'm not bothered by that. There are a couple different variations in some of the manuscripts. Uh, it doesn't bother me. Son of Man is a messianic title. It's also a prophetic title used by Ezekiel and used by Daniel in a couple of places. I'm not bothered by that. It's in it's in some of the manuscripts. Uh, okay, the uh, vast majority of them say, uh, "Do you believe in the Son of God?" Just not something that bothers me. I know people get their. I used to say panties in a wad, but I suppose that's not a very nice thing to say, is it? People get upset about it sometimes. <laughs> they, get, they get uptight about it. So uh, I'm just not bothered by those things anymore. I would encourage you to do some research if you are, though. In fact, one of the things I would encourage you to do is read the beginning part of your Bible. It actually s- explains how the people who translated that version, how they translated it, and like what the notes are in your Bible. Like All that stuff's actually in the beginning of, of many of our Bibles. We just... I've never read it. <laughs> it talks about textual criticism, talks about uh, the different different manuscripts. But um, anyways, um, he answered, verse 36, he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? See, this guy doesn't even know who Jesus is. Jesus has healed this man born blind, and he knows his name is Jesus, but he doesn't really know who he is. Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of God? And the guy's like, who is he? I know we get the word Lord is in there, and because if you grew up in the church, immediately in your mind when you read the word Lord, you think that means God, King, whatever. Lord just means like master. It, it's like sir. Okay, it's it's a, a word of respect for uh, that you would say to somebody who you thought was was over you, right? That sort of thing, right? So that's what Lord means. It means master. That sort of thing. Please don't confuse that with when we're quoting the Old Testament and you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's a different word. <laughs> that's that's the, the name. That's the name, whether we say uh, Yehovah or, or Yahweh, however we want to make up pronunciation, because nobody knows how to say it. <laughs> that's the name, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And we find that throughout the Old Testament scriptures and when they're quoted in the New Testament, when the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament, we find that. Uh, written that way for us so that we know there's a difference between that word and the word for like master or or um, sir, you know, that, that sort of word. Last couple of lines. Um, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Verse 37. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who's talking to you. <laughs> I love this. You've seen him and it's me. <laughs> I just, I also think Jesus had to be, maybe this is bad, I think Jesus had to be fun. Like, I feel like people, especially the common people, they like to be around him. Um, You've both seen him and it is he was talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. What a powerful moment. No sinner's prayer. No, everybody bow your heads and repeat after me. (laughs) God rescued this man. Apart from anything that he did, God saved him. That's why it's good news. Because God does it. The guy says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Remember what I, I mentioned earlier about Jesus using natural, physical circumstances uh, and presenting them to us with a spiritual um, mindset as well, teaching us spiritual things, using the natural, physical world. This is a natural, physical 
healing where a man born blind is now able to see, but the people who are able to see, Jesus says, they're the ones who are blind. People, not the one born blind, but the people who thought they could see, they're the ones who are really blind. He's talking about the Pharisees, right? Talking about that leadership that he had been addressing before. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. Verse 40 continues, then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? (laughs) They're like, wait a minute, I think he's talking about us. (laughs) Verse 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. I know that last verse there sounds very confusing. I don't want the way it's written to confuse you. It's He's saying the same thing that he had just said. For judgment I've come into this world that those who don't see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Because they were a group of people as leadership in Israel who were saying, we see, we know what God wants. They didn't. They were blind. (sighs) What do we do with these things? A couple of things in summary. One is this. Remember the story of Moses? Remember the story of um, Joseph with his brothers? I just I want you to be fully convinced that God really is in charge of things, even if you don't understand how that makes sense. I want you to know that He's He's in control. Now you read the book of Daniel and what Daniel did with King Nebi, with Nebuchadnezzar, um, just to show I, He's like I'm I'm in charge, and I'm going to show you that I'm in charge. When through Isaiah, he he names King Cyrus hundreds of years before Cyrus is ever born. And says, this is the man who's going to, I'm going to use him. He will be my anointed one to send Israel back into the land. When Moses says, um, when God says to Moses, Moses, here's what I want you to tell Pharaoh. And Moses' response is, "Um, God, could you send my brother Aaron because I don't speak very well. God's response to Moses is, who made the deaf and the dumb and the blind? Did not I make them? You can do what he's commanded you to do. (laughs) When Joseph's brothers finally get to him in Egypt and they don't know who he is, and then Joseph reveals himself to his brothers who sold him as a slave to Egypt, who was eventually brought down to Egypt. Um, Joseph's response is, what you guys meant for evil, God meant for good. To save many people alive, just like it is this day. See, these are, these are statements of, of people saying, God really is in control. I know that in the immediacy of, of our troubles, it's hard to believe that. That's why I need to hear it again and again and again. That I can trust him. That he's good. I think if if our enemy, if the enemy of our souls can get us to doubt that God really loves us, that God really cares about us, and I think he's he's one in many ways, succeeded in, in discouraging us. Because when we're discouraged, I find that I'm not, thinking about others. I'm thinking about myself most of the time. And then I'm failing to walk in the great commandments, right? To love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. Because I'm so self-consumed with dealing with my own mind and being self-centered. So anyways, um, (laughs) I don't have anything for you to do. I just want you to trust Jesus. I want you to, as we've looked at this story in John 9, I want you to be amazed at him. And I want you to love him. I don't, I don't, have, any, I don't have anything else. 
I don't have 10 steps for you to accomplish. You probably wouldn't do those anyways. It's fine. <laughs> I wouldn't either. <laughs> but right here in this moment, I can be really grateful to God for his kindness to me, and, and I think that's where we need to be. Uh, so, Father, I pray that you would continue, continue to reveal yourself to us. Show us, Lord, that we would learn to trust you more. Help us, Lord, help. I am so easily discouraged and frequently feel so weak and unhelpful. But you are good and you are patient. You are kind and gentle and full of mercy and goodness. And, and you've worked your, your grace in me and you keep doing that in us. And I pray that you would. And I ask that you would help us to lay our lives down just as our king showed us. It is Jesus that we're following. So if we're after, if we're after riches and cars and houses and prominence and honor and fame in this world, then it seems that we're not following Jesus. So, my Father, would you teach us to follow Jesus, who laid his life down as a ransom for many? Because we, we hold on to, to, to your promises that Jesus told us. That if we lose our lives for your sake, then we'll find it. <clears throat> Help us to remember as we pray for our friends who are sick that all of all of these healings, all of these the the time getting well is all fine, but it's also all temporary because we're all marching to that grave that is calling our names, and this tent that we are in will one day perish. So, Lord, teach us to pursue the things that will remain. Because the things that are seen are temporary. This puts me in a place to where, where I can give up my money and I can give up my food and I can give up the things that I have in order to help others. Because I'm not living for that anyways. But I need help, Lord because I'm really selfish. So would you break me, I pray. Please. Teach us to serve one another. Teach me to serve. Lord. Pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, guys. Love you. I uh, want the Lord to bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you and be gracious with you and lift up his countenance, his smile on you, and give you peace, you guys, as you enjoy this wonderful Jesus. <laughs> he really is, really is wonderful. Um,